for those of you joining us on our YouTube channel for this episode of the OHL podcast, thank you. And yes, this is being recorded in the hours before the Bills Steelers AFC wildcard game. So you can see on the YouTube channel, I'm a Steelers fan. You can use that to your advantage or maybe send congratulatory notes when this actually airs. It's completely up to you. OHL podcast at rogers.com is how to get in touch with us. And by the way, if you're not watching on YouTube and you're not a subscriber, um, hello, subscribe to the OHL podcast YouTube channel, okay? My name is Mike Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. The trade deadline has passed. We had our trade deadline special last week, but Dan, the drama extends into another week in the Ontario Hockey League. And I kicked a few tires around the rinks this weekend and nobody has heard of this particular situation before. I know I haven't, but a player traded from Sault Ste. Marie to Barry in Brendan Sarazotti says, yeah, I'm not playing anymore. I'm going to school. Yeah, I I'm, I was racking my brain because I know my old memory is fading, but I, I was sure that I've heard of this scenario before on probably slightly lesser players where an O-Rager decided as opposed to reporting to a new team that got him as a throw-in in a deal, kind of went on to Canadian University early or some, something, but I couldn't come up with a name. I'm sure I will, given a little more time. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting scenario, Mike, and frankly not one that totally shocks me because... You look at Sirizadi, he's a guy who was traded previously to the Sioux, had some injury troubles, was supposed to be a fairly big piece of that team, hasn't had the season he had hoped returning from injury, was on, still on a contender, can finish out your term, shoot for Memorial Cup maybe, get traded to a team that's out of it, rebuilding, got to move midwinter for a couple more months of service. Mentally, if it's not there, some of these some of these guys just check out and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Sorry. Um, of course, there's controversy around how that was communicated and what the repercussions are. But I, I'm not shocked at the sentiment. I'll say that. You just touched on something when you were t- talking about how you racked your brain to come up with a scenario. It, it's similar to Derek Schoenmaker's Kitchener native, who I believe was he, he had actually started school, right? So a little bit different, but, and, and I don't think, you know, that the team that he had been with, forgive me for forgetting, was it one of the Toronto-based teams? St. Anyway, Mike's, I believe, yeah. St. Mike's, yeah. yeah. So yeah. He, he wasn't going back there as an overager. He started at school, then came to the Rangers, his hometown team. Again, similar, certainly not exactly in this case. And you, you touched on the real controversy here. And frankly, I don't know how you're going to settle this but is in how it was apparently communicated. What Barry is saying is that allegedly Sarazotti made Sault Ste. Marie aware that you trade me, I ain't playing there, but the Sioux traded him anyway, because of course they wanted to get Jacob Frasca into their lineup. I mean, on the other side of the equation, really what you're getting in Sarazotti is a, a rental for a couple to a few months and three high draft picks, which of course would remain in place. So I don't know if this is a a play on the part of Barry to maybe extract more draft picks out of Sault Ste. Marie. But again, I really don't see any sort of resolution to this that satisfies the Barry Colts based on the position they've taken. They say the league is reviewing this, but what do you end up with here? Uh, he said, he said sort of thing. Did Sirizotti make it clear to the Sioux that he wasn't going to report if he was traded? I don't know. I I can say this much from 
getting to know the folks who operate the Sault Ste. Marie organization from general manager or from uh, ownership on down. It is uh, about as first class as you get when you talk about first class in this league. I think the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds uh, pretty much achieve that and are the gold standard of it. So uh, it, it, it's a tough one to be sure, but I, I don't think that there is a satisfactory outcome here for the Barry Colts. I can't imagine the league overturning the deal or doing anything else in this regard. Yeah, no, and let's face it, the picks were what they were really after, right? And I'm not diminishing Sirizadi, but uh, really the, what's at stake here is reputations, right? You just talked about the Sioux's reputation being great. And, and we all sit back and say, I can't imagine this was communicated to them and they just hid it from Barry. And then you see scenarios like happen in the NHL, right? You had the Ottawa Senators penalized for not communicating that a player had a no trade uh, clause in his, in his contract. And you had Cutter Gauthier just asking for a uh, trade out of Philadelphia who had had zero communication with the franchise, didn't tell them why. So these things do get lost in communication and translation. So it's possible, but I'm sure whatever happened in this case was most likely just some sort of miscommunication. I'm sure there was nothing intentional. The Sioux isn't trying to say, ha ha, Barry, we, we pulled one over on you because who's going to deal with you then going forward, knowing that that's where your ethics are. So I don't think this is necessarily an ethical issue. I think somewhere along the line, something got lines got crossed. Maybe it wasn't communicated as clearly as it needed to be from Sirizadi to the Sioux or who knows. But uh, at the end of the day, that's what's at stake here, Mike, is the reputations. And I think at the end of the day, they'll probably talk it through and figure out what went wrong. But uh, I, I don't think anyone did anything nefarious here. I agree with you on that sentiment, Dan. And really what we're talking about here, it's entirely possible that a player like Sarazadi, who's now being traded for the second time, right? Because originally he's an ice dog, then he's up with the Greyhounds. All of a sudden now he's a Colt and you know, it's, it's well within a player's rights to survey the landscape and say, listen, I've been banged up in this league. I've been traded a couple of times already. I'm going to play out the string with a team that's really not going anywhere in the Eastern Conference. I think I'm done with this whole hockey business, and uh, I'm just going to move on from it, at least for now. Maybe he catches on with a pro team. I don't know. But at this point, maybe the prospects of playing, literally playing out the string on his junior hockey career are not all that appealing. And I, I think we have to, you know, allow a young man or an older professional athlete to, to make that call for themselves if that's what they want to do. Well, yeah. And if I'm, if I'm Barry too, I, I don't want a player in the dressing room whose heart's not in it, whose head's not in it. You want to keep this culture growing, especially with the young kids. And if he, if his mind's not in it, his heart's not in it, it's okay. He's move on. Uh, it's not the end of the world at this point. Barry just needs warm bodies anyway. That's probably the concern. They, they would like to have a little bit of that to get through the season. Uh, who knows? Maybe this scenario, they looked at it and said, well, this wasn't great. Maybe we can get another draft pick out of the deal. Who knows? Uh, but, but yeah, I, that's my sentiment. If, if a player comes to that conclusion, because these trades, that's what they are. You're basically a throw in in a team that's going nowhere. So in effect, your career is mostly over anyway. And, if your heart's not in the OHL, it's hard to play at that level. So I think once the dust settles, everyone will kind of come to that agreement. The other piece of this that may be at stake here is the Barry Colts trying to save a little bit of face. Nobody wants to be the organization where a player doesn't want to report. So maybe when you 
get out in front of the story, if you will, and position it this way, it doesn't look as bad. And I'm not trying to throw any shade at Barry by any stretch. Look, we talked about their very public spat with the media earlier this season. It was not a great look, and that's just being honest about it. We talked about that then. I'm not saying things are awful there. I think Marty Williamson runs a pretty tight ship and a pretty good show for the Colts, but this might be an effort on Barry's part just to make sure that they still, because you talked about the ethics side of things from Sault Ste. Marie, there's nothing that's been suggested in, in as many years as I can remember that anything untoward goes on when you make a deal with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound. So that perhaps remains intact on the other side of the equation. Maybe the Barry Colts are like, Hey, we're still a good place to come and play. We're still a good place to develop, et cetera, et cetera. We've got what you want in the Ontario hockey league. And this just might be an effort to, to save a little bit of face here. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's all kinds of things at play here, right? Like the, these organizations, like you just said, have their reputations on the line. And let's, let's face, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, this was necessarily Sirizadi's fault, but let's face it. Teenage boys aren't always the best communicators either. So who knew, who knows how uh, how thoroughly this had been discussed with anyone? Uh, I know my son. If I if I uh, mention this to him, he'd say, "Oh, I told you that. I told you that." Well, I'm not sure he did, or I'm not sure how well it was communicated. So, who knows what happened? But uh, I, like you said, I don't I don't think anyone is going to come out of this on the other end looking too bad. I think it was just slight miscommunication somewhere along the lines. Let's stick on the theme of communication. And if it's something that's being communicated in the Ontario Hockey League, it's that maybe just maybe it's the London Knights that are the team to watch or maybe even beat clear across this league 12 wins in a row on the heels of a 10-0 drubbing of the Owen Sound attack. There was a lot of talk, Dan, coming into the trade deadline that, you know, Mark Hunter's going to do a Mark Hunter-esque thing and and pull off a deal that looks really good for London and not as good for the other team and get just what his team needed. And maybe, well, maybe Mark Hunter's team didn't need anything. Again, 12 straight wins for the London Knights. I'll just throw in the other little aspect of this. Almost halfway to the CHL record held by the Kitchener Rangers of 25 straight wins. But anyway, a dozen straight for London. Yeah, and you know, I teased before the trade deadline that I, I had a hunch that there was a chance he, Mark Hunter might do a soft sell and move a couple bodies, recognizing this might not be their year. Because we've seen the Hunters do that in the past, where there's a year where they're not quite all in, but they're never out of it. We know, like, even in those years when they do that soft sell, they end up fourth, fifth in the conference, then make some noise in the playoffs. So clearly they made the decision this year that, you know, we've got enough to do something here, to work with here. Really, like you said, no significant moves at the deadline other than picking up Overager Caleb Lawrence to replace Ethan McKinnon, who could no longer play. So a good ad. Obviously, Caleb Lawrence is a quality player, big body player, and London's going to be a pain to, to play against with some of the components in that lineup. But to rattle off 12 in this league is tough enough at, at the best times, let alone in a conference where you had teams that just loaded up and we saw them embarrass those loaded up Saginaw spirit. We're seeing an awful lot of teeth out of that London Knights team. And I think that the rest of the league is just dropping their shoulders saying, really? Like this was one year where we thought maybe we didn't have to worry about the green machine, but I think we do. So here's the thing you talk about. It's hard enough to do in this league or any other. Absolutely agree. But it strikes me, Dan, that this is the sort of thing that we see probably multiple times a season around the Ontario Hockey League. I know eight isn't 12, but 
the Kitchener Rangers reeled off eight in a row already this season. You know, the uh, the Saginaw Spirit, did they get as high as 11? They got to 10 for sure in a row. So we tend to see these runs, and, and I always look at them with a, a grain of salt and say, at the end of 68 games, you know, we'll see what the overall standings are because teams kind of go, it's the ebb and the flow. But you might be able to argue, and, and you touched on it just a little bit when you mentioned Ethan McKinnon no longer being able to play. I'll throw in there Max McHugh having some trouble with suspensions and the team has battled through that and picked up wins. But but maybe the, the sort of ebb in the London night season was early on because they, they didn't come out of the gates like a house on fire. A lot of questions, eyebrows being raised and wondering, hmm, you know, is, is something not quite right? And maybe what we're seeing now is the maturity of a team at this point in the season where everybody kind of settles into their role. The leaders have emerged and, you know, they kind of figure out what they're all about and, and what role they have to play to make the overall machine operate as well as it is. I still figure you'll see a, a brief lull, if you will, of, of 500 ish hockey for the Knights in the final third of the season, but Holy heck, 12 in a row is, is, uh, is something to behold right now. Yeah, I'm not quite as uh, confident there's going to be a, a lull to the 500 level with this team, but uh, but you're right. There will probably be a, a little bit of a, a change of pace here. You can't keep this up. But the other thing I would point out, too, is it speaks to uh, the coaching, too, and the culture and how they keep that team focused. Because when we see coming through the Christmas season, you got the World Juniors, you've got injuries piling up. Lots of teams are in upheaval, either bringing new bodies in or sending bodies out or having them overseas. When that's going on, I think the most focused dressing rooms are the ones that say, you know, here's a chance to make some hay. Let's, all, let's keep this connected. It's not like the London Knights weren't missing anyone. We saw Easton Counter and uh, Oliver Bond playing for Can. We had we had some players out of the lineup, and they still managed to keep it trooping. So to me, that speaks to to the coaching, the preparation, how you keep those kids focused, because it's a real opportunity for teams if you can do that, because a lot of other teams are unfocused at that time of year. It just goes to show how strong the Kitchener Rangers started and how consistent they've been that even 12 straight wins can't get London over the top and into first place. But on that note, what a week this is going to be in the Midwest division, the leading Kitchener Rangers take on the Guelph storm and then a home and home with the London Knights in two of the biggest and best filled arenas in the league. Get your tickets now for the weekend in the Midwest division, because those two games Friday night in Kitchener and Saturday in London are going to be fantastic. Yeah. And I'm hearing it might be a little late to get those tickets. If you don't have them already, <laughs> that's, that, that's how much people are looking forward to this. So yeah, it's going to be a real, the turn the litmus test, if we will, for these teams, because you've, you just referenced that, league record Kitchen Rangers streak from years back. And then that's a team that's going to have the ability to stop London's current one. Uh, you've got London rolling. Obviously they they've lost to Kitchener early in the season. They've got revenge on their mind. They've still got their streak on their mind. Uh, what a, what a litmus test this is going to be for both teams, but more than, more than not, what an exciting uh, stretch it's going to be for the fans. Uh, just before we shift our attention to the Eastern conference and believe you me, we're going to shift our attention to the Eastern conference, but the last team in this streak when London reached 12 was the Owen Sound attack. Should we be worried, Dan Mahar? Should people in the scenic city be worried? This was a team 
that was sitting seventh in the conference when they went out and added. Dale DeGray said later before the trade deadline that he couldn't believe the prices, but some might argue he set the market by trading his first rounder from this past April in Nico Addy up to Peterborough to acquire Connor Smith and, and Sam McHugh. Uh, and they haven't won a game since four losses in a row for Owen sound as they make a splash at the deadline, they get Colby Barlow back healthy. Uh, they've got one of the best goaltenders in the entire league. In fact, Carter George ranked even ahead of Ryerson leanders in the latest rankings from central scouting. I mean, I don't know. Are, are you concerned at all about the uh, Bayshore bunch? You'd have to be, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I, I've heard there were some travel issues getting to London and, you know, maybe that was that impacted the game and you see the 10 nothing score and think, well, obviously something had to impact them. They're not going to lose 10 nothing on a regular game. But over the last two games, 16 goals allowed and you got a team that is really hanging their flag on being able to defend, right? When you bring in Connor Smith and you already had some of the veteran presence there in Carter George there, I think they were trying to beat teams with defense and physicality. So you got to wonder what's going wrong there because you should have the leadership in that room to avoid those big numbers on the other side. You should have someone that can stem the bleeding and say, you know what, we're going to go out and have the shift right now that gets us back on track. Or, you know, last night was unacceptable. Let's, let's get at it today. So when those things aren't happening, I think you'd have to be a little concerned, wouldn't you? Uh, I know that I am just watching this team and I've got a great fondness for the smallest market in the OHL. I love going up to the Bayshore on a Saturday night and, and feeling the energy in the building and the passion that those fans have for the team. I'm also selfish. I, I picked Colby Barlow to win the scoring race this year. Clearly that's not going to happen. The injuries didn't help that, but yeah, I don't know. There, there's too much talent there for this to be the, the way the team is playing or the direction they're headed right now. So we'll get to that travel story, by the way, in, in just a few minutes, because, oh, goodness gracious, do I love the Ontario Hockey League? And there's a farmer somewhere near Listowel that deserves like the firefighter's helmet or whatever they give out for player of the game honors and Owen Sound. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to that. But let's let's shift over to the Eastern Conference and, and another place where eyebrows are being raised. Look, Talk about splashes at the deadline. Talk about enthusiasm from day one. Of course, I'm talking about the Sudbury Wolves. I mentioned this during our trade deadline special, Dan, that fans up there are so jacked. They're so focused on this team that I was getting messages from them saying, is Sudbury going to make a deal? Like, what's going on? It's getting too close to the deadline. What are you hearing? Like, calm down. It's going to happen. And then sure enough, they did. And then they went out and lost 11-7 to to the Windsor Spitfires, 11 goals surrendered to the Spits. Yowza. Yeah, you know, and and I think we've heard it referenced before that the Sudbury Wolves look like they're going to try and beat Team 7-5, but just ask Toronto Maple Leaf fans how viable a plan that is for the playoffs, right? So uh, I'd be concerned there too. And you look at and people will say, well, the Windsor Spitfires. So how about a little shout out, shout out to them too, because uh, – you know, that's a team that's gone into the some Eastern trips this year and made some noise. And since the trade deadline, I'm starting to hear some whispers of some NHL teams that really like Liam Greentree as high as the top 10 or potentially even high in the top 10. So there's a guy making a name for himself. And you look at Anthony Cristoforo, plus five in that game. There's another draft eligible that that's making noise. So you got to give a little credit to the opponent. But when you're getting 11 goals rolled up on you uh, by a team that has sold and is looking to probably miss the playoffs this year, 
and you were supposed to be a the leading contender for the Memorial Cup, at least out of the Eastern Conference. Someone's getting awfully nervous in the Nickel City, I would think. How nice was it too when you're just talking about those players like Green Tree and Cristoforo? For Windsor to bring back Pasquale Zito, I liked it just because it's like it's almost like uh, trading for a player so that they can retire in your jersey as a professional. But Zito gets to take the swan song of his OHL career at the Spitz, and he comes out with a five five point effort the other night, which I think is awesome. But but to the matter at hand in the game that got everybody wondering about the Sudbury Wolves. Look, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Eastern Conference over the past couple of weeks, and. And I can tell you that there's nobody really quaking in their skates when it comes to the prospect of facing Sudbury. And I know, I know it's a well-worn cliche defense wins championships. And I'm not even entirely sure I, I subscribe to it necessarily. I mean, you're not going to win any go- games if you can't score goals, but I, I really think the, the Sudbury Wolves are going to have to figure out a way to cut down on the number of goals allowed, because if you're scoring seven, and you're on the wrong end of a decision, I know we're two-thirds of the way through the season. So I'm not reaching for a panic button just yet, but don't make me take my hand out of my pocket and start reaching for it because you just got to see something a little bit tighter. Otherwise, this Sudbury Wolves Express ends in the second round as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, like like all the teams I've coached over the years, I always try and give them the concept of you see how hard it is to score a goal. You see how much work and how much grind you have to put in to try and score a goal. So do not make it easy on them because every time they score one, you've got to do that again an extra time. So I question whether or not that commitment to defending is there in Sudbury right now and if it will get there because they've made additions to that team. They've brought in some bodies. They've... They're a physical team. They brand themselves that way. That's supposed to be tough to play against. But when you look at the GA category, I would question how tough they are to play against. And is that commitment? Is that the personnel? I don't know. But if you don't have an answer in mid-January, it's it's very concerning for a team that's supposed to contend. I just want to pump the tires of another team in the Eastern Conference for a quick minute. And I got to see them recently in what I thought was a very well-played, if not a wee bit lacking in entertainment value game, but the Kitchener Rangers were in Oshawa. It was just, it it was tight checking it, but it was well played. Like if you want to see good hockey with limited mistakes, well, that also led to limited opportunities, but it was a one goal game. The Rangers win it, but I was really impressed with the way the Oshawa generals played. And, th- and that loss to the Kitchener Rangers on new year's day was one of only three that Oshawa has lost in its past 14 years games so 11 and 3 are the Oshawa Generals over the past roughly quarter of a season they've got wins over Saginaw in there they've got wins over Mississauga they score 10 versus Flint they score 8 just the other night over Kingston who's playing well right now and 1 through 7 in the east is separated by 6 points I'm not saying that Oshawa is going to be in first by the time this is all said and done but what a nice little run by that team east of Toronto. Yeah, I mean, everyone's taking note right now, right? Because, that again, a team that wasn't supposed to be in the mix. But how can you speak about Oshawa without without mentioning Jacob Oster and Nett? He's been great for them. And then quietly, because he showed up late, had a few injury concerns, but Callum Ritchie is on fire for that team. And you're talking about a player that is probably amongst the top 
four or five forwards in the league when healthy and when rolling. Uh, so when you've got players like that in your lineup and you heard how much I love the addition of Connor Panette last, last week at the trade deadline, there's some pieces there. And I think as you referenced from your viewing of them recently, Mike, they are not easy to play against. And when they figure out how to score like they are right now, because I was thought to be concerned, they added Connor Lockhart early in the year to help address that. They got firepower. They've got physicality. They've got defending and they're getting great goaltending. Sounds like a team that can make some noise to me. <laughs> Those are the ingredients you want. Put them in the mixing bowl and let Derek Lastall, the head coach, uh, do what he can with them. I think on Richie, by the way, the numbers are 14 points over his, fast, his past five games, which is a scoring streak for him. He's got points in each of his past five, 14 over that stretch. So he is putting up some big numbers indeed. Okay, let's uh, reverse it back to what you mentioned about the travel woes. And it's it's never going to be... It shouldn't be an excuse. And I've actually heard people say in the past that it's actually a benefit to the team showing up to the rink late because it takes all the time to think about things out of the equation. You basically get off the bus, you get ready for the game, you hit the ice and you go. A little bit of a different story, perhaps, for the Owen Sound attack uh, during their last game Sunday versus London. We all know it was wicked weather in southern Ontario this past weekend. The game was delayed by an hour before it could start credit to the Knights for staying focused and being ready when that game finally got started. But what we are told has happened or had happened to the Owen sound attack along the way is just, I mean, junior hockey. I, I love it so much. And in the conditions from Owen sound to London on some of those rural roads that the attack were traveling, not the best conditions. I saw some pictures of whiteouts in some areas. I don't know exactly what the bus was going through because I wasn't there, but there was a missed turn and then an attempt to get the bus turned around in the laneway of a farmhouse. And in that attempt to get turned around, the bus got stuck. So the farmer comes out with his tractor in a bid to help get the bus out of the laneway, but even the tractor wasn't enough. So the farmer had to go to his next best option, which was a backhoe. And it was the backhoe that helped get the attacks bus out of the snow in which it was stuck and back on the road to go face the London Knights where they got shellacked 10 to nothing. But I, whoever that farmer is, uh, he was in the Listowel area. I, I'm going to say that's where Owen Sound thought they were at the time. Who knows, depending on how much snow was there. But damn it, we need to find that farmer and give him a player of the game plaque. Yeah, well, it started like farmers are good people. We know that they'll <laughs> shoot off their back. So, um, but maybe that farmer should have just drove into the bud and played instead because <laughs> they might have had a better shot. They might have had a better result. <laughs> you know, it's something that I try not to think about, but it it really crossed my mind, of course, uh, years ago with the Humboldt tragedy. But you think about the number of hockey teams I'm, and i'm talking just hockey we could add so many other things into this equation but the number of hockey teams that are on the number of highways at the hours of day at the time of the year and the season that that time of the year brings and it is a wonder it truly is a wonder we don't hear more stories like this and this is a you know, one we can laugh at now Humboldt, obviously completely different but you just think by you know sheer numbers that it would it would happen more often over my years i remember a time our, our bussy 
uh, got on the westbound 401 instead of the east, and we were way up in eastern Ontario, and uh, it, it's a long way to the next exit. And you could tell he was looking a little bit concerned, and then there's a little nudge, uh, hey, I'll leave names out to protect the innocent, but you're going the wrong way, and he's cursing, I know, I know. And so, you know, you lose about 20 minutes on that trip. Uh, we had a... we. Had, we had poor Andy Delmore, a former assistant coach in Windsor, who was driving a really nice car that the Kitchener Rangers bus backed into, leaving a playoff game just last season. Now, remember, that, that was the playoff series where Kitchener was an eight seed and Windsor was the one, and the Rangers swept them to make history. Never before had an eight swept a one. So not only did Kitchener go into Windsor and beat the spits in their own barn, but then Delmore's sports car gets crushed by the bus on the way out of the arena. And then of course our current bussy is the nickname Moose because one famous night between Sudbury and North Bay, sorry, North Bay going to Sudbury on highway 17. Uh, I guess I didn't see it, but I felt the bus swerve to avoid a couple of moose in the middle of the road to not hit the moose and slalom us and keep us safe on the road that night. But these are just some of the little incidents that I've gone through over the years. Uh, I can't remember a time we've been stuck just yet. I also remember going back to Owen Sound, which started all of this, an awful storm one night. Roads around the city of Owen Sound were being closed as we were at the game. About 500 people still showed up, some of them on snowmobiles, but we basically played to an empty house because the storm was so bad. And when we left, all the roads were closed and we were looking around for accommodation, trying to find something. We're going to different hotels. We had a kid who had family up there. They were going to take 10 players for the night, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden on our laps around looking for hotels, the the main road, I think it was, it wasn't 21, six, I guess it was opened. And we're like, go get back to the rink, get every, like get everything loaded up and go. And we got on that road, but boy, oh boy, it was, I, I refer to it as the six hour trip home from Owen Sound. Cause that's how long it took from end of game. It's a two hour drive as the crow flies. There's no way to make it faster than two hours. We took three times as long. That bus, he kept us on the road that night. Yeah. I think the, the takeaway there is a huge shout out to these bus drivers. Cause we've all driven. I this weekend, I was at a hockey tournament where the drive was extremely harrowing on Friday night with, you know, just whiteout conditions on Highway 400 and some of the highways up up east-west across there. And then if you take the rural roads, as the Owen Sound attack decided to do, you get that wind coming off the farm fields, and some points you can't even see where the road is. So it's it's not great at the best of times, but consider having, you know, 30 lives in your hands behind, sitting behind you, uh, which adds multitude to the stress level. So, yeah, big shout-out to those bus drivers who do it all winter, every winter, and seemingly without incident for the most part. Yeah, that's a really good point. And a shout out to the hockey parents too, and you as a coach, because I was talking with a couple of hockey moms who were going back and forth over the weekend. They were concerned about the conditions and one said to the other, they never cancel games. So get used to this, like the games just go on. And I talked to a lot of people who wished they had not had to get to the games that they ended up playing this past weekend when the weather was at its worst. Hopefully some uh, clearer skies and roads ahead. Okay, still ahead on this episode of the OHL podcast is Mississauga on the move. And we're going to go into the email inbox for a message from one of you who doesn't want to dunk on the Ice Dogs, but, and our prospects of the week still to come, stay with us.
Okay, Dan, let's start with uh, the Mississauga Steelheads. You and I have talked about this earlier this season on the podcast. It really struck me when I was there for a game on a Saturday afternoon, I think we were in, but look, really good hockey club this year. Has been a pretty good hockey club for a number of years. Graduating uh, among the most players to the National Hockey League over the past seven years. I could go on and on. I've already done that. I think it's a really well-run franchise in a pretty darn good building that for whatever reason, and we could get into demographics, we could get into it being a Leafs market and not a hockey market, whatever. But shame on you, Peel Region and, and Mississauga specifically for not getting out and supporting this really good entertainment product right in your backyard. Now it sounds as though you're going to be losing it i don't think they care i mean if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it does it still make a sound if nobody's going to the games are they going to miss them when they're gone but i I had this from a a fairly reliable source some time ago and now that i'm hearing more and more of it around the rinks we'll just throw it on here i won't say with certainty that it's confirmed but by all accounts mississauga up the road to brampton and will reestablish itself as early as next season as a Brampton OHL team. Yeah, just ping-ponging a franchise that no one seems to want, right? Because it that experiment ultimately failed before. We saw Brampton move up to North Bay. We've seen uh, that neither one of those ranks seems to support a team for no reason. They're, the population base around there is huge. And often when these things happen, my first thought, is what you said, Mike, I'd be concerned for the fan base and the community that's losing their team. Not so much here, because obviously they weren't really supporting them, but also you could, you could almost throw a stone from one arena to the other so they could still go support the team if they really want to. It's right there. But it, let's be honest, it's not as good a facility. That's strike one right there. Uh, you've got that beautiful arena sitting there, <laughs> Paramount Fun Foods. Like, it's great for junior hockey, a great franchise. They've been entertaining. They've been competitive. They've got a great coaching staff, well-managed. I don't know if it can work in, in the 905. I, I I don't know what the answer is anymore, Mike, and I, I'm fairly certain this won't be it. Maybe it's just lowering, lowering the overhead costs. I, I can't figure out what else it would be. Yeah, I think you uh, hit the nail right on the head there, Dan, because again, as I understand it, and I guess we'll wait for the dust to settle on this, should it ultimately happen, but as I understand it, there will there has been an offer made. Hey, come on up here to the former Powerade Center. I think it's the CAA Center now, and we'll give you uh, ten years of a free lease to play in this building. So, if you're losing money anyway, why not just lose a little less money? And I'm not going to fault Elliot Kerr as the owner here for making the decision to lose less money. The only curiosity for me is. If you're willing to move the team, why not just move, move the team? I don't know what the parameters will be around that 10-year lease. If indeed that's what's being offered here, you can have you can be rent-free for 10 years at the CAA Center. And if you break that, what happens? Because I'm thinking, you know, there's another arena being renovated right now, not far from the area we're talking about that might take you. I think there are other markets. Chatham's always in the mix. I'd love to see Cornwall come back. You know that, but that's a lot further afield. The way it looks right now is it's simply a matter of that. If I'm losing money anyway, why not lose less money 
20 minutes up the road. Yeah. And, and you know what, there are benefits, obviously staying right in that immediate area. And if you have that 10 year lease cost free, potentially they say, well, that that's almost impossible to lose money regardless of our crowds for 10 years. That's pretty good. But you also probably retain a lot of your sponsorships that you had. You probably don't even have to change a lot of billet families because of the location. And I think there's the appeal to the players and from a recruitment standpoint of playing the GTA, which is scout, heavily scouted, great access to the to the NHL uh, for that from that regard. So I get a lot of the reasons why logistically would be good to stay close. But I mean, if the goal is filling the building, this probably is not going to do it. You mentioned this about you know, a, an easy accessible area for scouting. And I get that. And that's long been the argument around keeping a team in the GTA, but, but you touched on it right at the outset, Dan, Dan, like we're just moving the pieces around the greater Toronto area. When the league expanded to include the GTA in its footprint back in the late nineties, there were three teams, right? You had Toronto St. Mike's, you had the Mississauga ice dogs, you had the Brampton Battalion. Mississauga leaves and becomes the Niagara Ice Dogs. Toronto St. Mike's becomes the St. Mike's Majors in Mississauga, eventually becoming, uh, I guess it was, was it the Mississauga Majors, then the Steelheads, whatever. I don't know what they're going to name it in, in Brampton. I, I, I doubt it's going to be the Brampton Steelheads, but Brampton, of course, has gone to North Bay. Maybe, you know, coming up on 30 years later, it's time for the GTA experiment to end in the Ontario Hockey League. Maybe it's just not cut out for that market. I don't know. It, you know what? It's hard to come to any different conclusion at this point because they can't browbeat people to attend. I mean, I think we, you and I think it's ridiculous because we see the value of the product and we see people tripping over themselves to pay $500 to see one Leaf game when you could spend that to see an entire season with much better seats, I might add, to a product that is very it's an elite level product let's face it, a lot of these players are going to end up playing in that very same arena as the leafs within a few years so i i don't i never will understand it um people will blame the marketing and promotion i see plenty of marketing and promotion out of those franchises i uh, i i don't understand it i never will but it's hard for me not to come to any conclusion other than the one you just did mike which is that west peel region maybe forget it yeah i think that might be uh where we're headed and maybe that's a problem for the new commissioner to worry about when uh, he or she is cemented into the position later on this year. Okay. Let's go to the email inbox and remember you can reach us anytime via email. It's OHL podcast at rogers.com interact with us on Twitter as well. Dan is at his name at Dan Mahar and I'm at Farwell underscore OHL. This one comes from Elam to OHL podcast at rogers.com. Hey guys, I don't want to be that guy that dunks on the ice dogs. Wait for it because they do it to themselves enough of the time. But when is this team going to start caring about being relevant in this league again? When are they going to start taking themselves all caps seriously because they are not even an afterthought as a team around the league. I know Mike said he wanted to blacklist this team from the pod and I get it but I couldn't help but look at the standings and their roster after you talked about it last week. It's bad guys, really bad. It's a complete joke. And I feel for any of their fans, if they have any left for the sake of the league and your fans, all caps, get your act together. Ice dogs that comes through the email inbox, OHL podcast at rogers.com. 
from Elam. You see, this is why I want to blacklist the team from the pod, because otherwise people like Elam are going to go look up the standards and say, what's going on around here? I don't want to look at this stuff. It hurts my stomach. I don't know. It's hard to argue with Elam. He didn't say much that we need to add on. I, I mean, what I heard through Elam's words, though, if I were to boil it down, was the kids playing on that team and the fans deserve, deserve better. I mean, that's the number one focus for me and should be for anyone is is they're part of a circus. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to any of the people affiliated with that organization. So get your act together. I looked because Elam said, and, and you're right, like it's not even really a, an afterthought to me, even as somebody who follows the league, there's that divide East-West conference. So I don't see a lot of them anyway, but I did look at the standings because Elam made me and 12 wins so far this season for the Niagara Ice Dogs. The, the good news is that's 12 wins in 39 games, which is one more win than they had in 68 games last season. But if you put it together, that's 23 wins for this team against 84 losses so far in the past two seasons, 23 and 84. I don't know how long you expect a loyal fan base. And that's what you had in St. Catharines to stick around when that's the product you're putting on the ice. Yeah. And those numbers may not be terribly flattering. Uh, the silver lining, if I'm trying to be glass half full is we've seen a lot worse in the OHL. Those kids are still competing. Uh, but how on earth are they supposed to do any better when every week it seems there's another face or two in or out of the dressing room? How's the coaching staff supposed to work with that? How are you supposed to implement systems, chemistry, any of that stuff? So a 12 wins in 39 games for me, to my mind, is about as, as good as can be expected from a team under those circumstances. So I don't blame those players at all. I've, I've seen a few Ice Dogs games this year where I felt they, they competed really hard. There's some talent there. Uh, it's not on them. Those numbers are not on them. Those numbers are about as good as you can expect, I think, when it's run that way. Those, you know, that's such a great point, Dan. Like, just those numbers alone show that these kids are out there busting their asses night in and night out, trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, as one of my old teachers was fond of saying. They're doing their best. I'll, I'll just never understand it. And I'm, I'm not going to claim to be anything more than an armchair general manager. I won't even try to be an armchair coach in this league, but I won't claim to be anything more than an armchair general manager when I say, how do you, how do you operate this way? How do you, how do you change the parts so often and expect anything other than what you're getting? Like, I, I, I think anybody knows that, don't they? Is it only the owner slash GM in, in Niagara that doesn't know this? It's, it's, I don't know. I, I, so Elam, now you got my blood pressure up. I'm going to have to go see my doctor. I'm blacklisting the ice ducks. I'm not talking about them no more. That's it. It's nonsense. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll honor that ban. Okay. We're going to honor that ban and move on to our prospects of the week. Uh, who you got for us this week, Densky? All right, Michael, we referenced that long London Knights win streak and how they didn't make any huge additions at the deadline. And when that's the case, you need some players to step up. And the guy that's kind of caught my eye all year is Sam O'Reilly, who is ascending the draft rankings charts for the NHL. Uh, Well-rounded player. I mean, you can 
again, brings something in all three zones, which is exactly what I'm looking for from I'm an NHL scout. This isn't a one-dimensional junior player that can produce at this level and won't at the next because you can put them in various situations and just chips away every game. You know, you see the the assist here, the goal there. It's just consistency, uh, bringing something to that lineup. And when you rattle off 12 in a row, yeah, you see the big names on that roster, but you go a, a level below that and you see a bunch more that are contributing. So my guy is Sam O'Reilly, Mike. It's an excellent choice. And while we're on the subject of the London Knights, if you're a Leafs fan like me, you're smart. If you claim not to be, you just haven't come to your senses yet. But Mitch Marner, former London Knight, the fastest Leaf ever to 600 points. And Easton Cowan, also property of the Toronto Maple Leafs, tearing it up right now during this run for the London Knights. I'm I'm on the other side of the league, and I alluded to this earlier. I, I, I just think that the Oshawa Generals right now are playing some sneaky good hockey. I've really been enjoying them. I know they haven't won 12 in a row, but they're 11 and three in their past 14 and Beckett Seneca may be playing his most consistent hockey of the season. He's only got 13 goals, but three of them have come in the past four games, along with two assists for five points in those four games. Another game, he had a hat trick. So that's almost half of his goals in just this, you know, add that game plus the past four. So five games, he's got almost half his goals, but I really like the way his game is rounding into form. It's complete. And like I said, maybe his best, most consistent hockey of the season so far. Beckett Seneca of the Oshawa Generals is my prospect of the week this week. Yeah, hard to argue that one. When I heard Oshawa Generals, I thought you might go Ben Danford, who all, like also has been terrific uh, of late. But yeah, when you can find multiple guys on a roster that are worthy of the nod, it explains the record. So yeah, kudos to to those choices. Well, and I think I kind of mentioned Danford in passing in our previous podcast when we were just getting into trade stuff and out of Christmas and we didn't do our prospects, but watching them up close. And and you said it, Dan, earlier when we were talking about Oshawa, how difficult they are to play against. Uh, Danford and Morelli both on the back end really are a, a big part of that for sure. Yeah, uh, fun team to watch. So if you haven't, if you wrote them off, go have another look. <laughs> okay, big takeaways from our OHL podcast this week. Uh, watch for those wolves in the East and see if they can find a way to start keeping some pucks out of their net. It's fun to watch them score, but they're going to have to watch that other side. And it is a huge, huge week ahead in the Midwest division. So fans in Kitchener, Guelph, London, enjoy yourselves. And if you're an Owen Sound, uh, hope that the team finally gets it going in the right direction. Actually, I should real touch. I should touch on real quick the the Erie Otters, who uh, played a a Monday game because it's a, a holiday in the states after being home on Saturday night and in Kitchener on Friday, when all of this nasty weather was happening, they came in day of played the Rangers tough for a while. Kitchener pulls away late. They have to go back home through that same crappy weather, Dan, that you were talking about. And, and Flint had played in Niagara on Friday night. So the Firebirds probably beat the Otters back to Erie, but Erie still goes out and knocks Flint around Saturday night on home ice after their Monday game, which is a daytime game for Erie. They have to hit the road and go way north up through North Bay, et cetera. These, what a travel schedule the Erie Otters have had. So kudos to that Bussy and these young men for still performing under uh, pretty difficult circumstances. Did they stop and shovel Highmark Stadium while they were there? I'm not sure. 
Um, they might have added that in too if they had time. So go Steelers. I'll just add that back in too. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to go for my team in the game that's about to begin, but we'll see. Steelers, Bills, that's the uh, National Football League AFC wildcard game. This is the OHL podcast. Enjoy the Midwest division. When I was talking about it, I just had to throw Erie in because I touched everybody else. Enjoy the Midwest this week. Watch out for those wolves in the East and see if they can keep pucks out of their nets and get ready for our next episode next Tuesday. That guy is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Give us a like, subscribe, send an email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com. And as always, thanks for listening to the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.